Lord Jesus, as we come now to your word, we open our hearts to you. Thank you, God, who speaks, who uh, understands, Lord, um, us better than anyone. And for the relevance of your word, the power of your word, speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So great to be sharing with you today um, as we wrap up our Renew series. I did want to just say a big thank you to all those who came out and prayed with us this week over our three days of prayer. It has been an incredible week just to pray, to seek God together. Tuesday night, the outpouring night, wow, that was amazing. A touch of heaven there, that is for sure. But thanks, church, to all those who came and joined with us to pray. Today, as I said, we're wrapping up this series in Renew, called Renew, and over this series we've been looking at this great truth that God's heart is to come and do a renewing, restoring work in our lives. Who could forget Russ's Ducati motorbike up here on the stage uh, and the amazing work he did in carefully restoring um, that bike and, uh, and the picture it was for us of the way God comes to renew us and restore our lives. Since that message, I happen to be reading about Kintsugi. Now, you might be wondering, what is Kintsugi? Well, it's the Japanese art of putting broken pottery pieces back together with a, a lacquer um, that's dusted by gold. So it's like gold sort of being painted on there to put it all together. And the, behind, the idea behind it is that by embracing the flaws and imperfections, you can create an even stronger and more beautiful piece of art. And I couldn't help but think as I was reading about this, this series we're in, Renew, and how this is such a, another great example for us of God's heart to come and he takes the broken pieces of our lives and he loves to put them back together, um, creating an even more amazing, stronger a masterpiece. One f- paraphrase of Colossians 1 puts this truth, puts this very truth like this. It says this, all the broken and dislocated pieces of the universe, people and things, animals and atoms get properly fixed and fit together in vibrant harmonies, all because of his death, his blood that poured down from the cross. He put your lives together, whole and holy in his presence. You don't walk away from a gift like that. Um, what an incredible truth that this is who our God is. And, and the, the powerful part of this is that we are never too far gone for God to come and to do his restoring work and it's never too late for God to come and do his restoring work. We saw that with Russ's bike. If you saw the pictures when it was in pieces, you would have thought, I would have thought that is too far gone. But not, not in the hands of the master creator, he comes and is never too late. I love the story of the thief on the cross. Even in those last moments, he could come and Jesus could do this restoring, renewing work in his life. It's never too late and you are never too far gone. I want you to hear that. Maybe just for you this morning, that was the word you needed to hear. In this series, we've looked at some of the specific aspects of God's renewing work in our lives. We looked in week one at the truth that God renews our mind from Romans 8 with Pastor Andrew. The way that, um, that God is able to help us to set us free from the lies that Satan loves to put in our minds and our thinking to pull us down, to discourage us. Instead, through the help of the Holy Spirit, we can align our thinking with the truth of God's Word and, uh, and the, the impact and the difference this makes as we renew our minds. And then in week two, we looked at how he renews our spirit through confession, through coming to him with a broken and contrite heart, through repentance. And Psalm 51, Pastor Joe looked at this and how in coming to God like this, he loves to renew our spirit. And today we're looking at how God renews our strength in Isaiah chapter 40. If you've got a device, you might want to follow along. It'll come up on the screen as well so you can follow along there. But we're going to look at Isaiah chapter 40 together. 
Uh, this week, there was two funerals we held on Tuesday for two godly Christian saints. The first was for Beryl Brown, uh, who lived to 101. That's a good innings, isn't it? 101. Beryl was a mighty woman of faith who was part of our church family here for many years and her faith and her prayers, her witness blessed so many of us. I was a recipient of that blessing. I know Beryl, even when she couldn't come in person in uh, later years, she would get a paper copy of our newsletter and she would pray for me. I knew that. Um, but uh, a blessing to be able to share in that service. And then in the afternoon on Tuesday, there was the service for Norma Griffiths. Um, She was due to turn 90 in May, another very good innings there. Uh, I only met Norma more recently, around the last 12 months or so ago, but she was another mighty woman of faith and prayer, and she also blessed me greatly. Both of these women of faith were blessed with long lives, but over that journey of many years, both of them faced their fair share of trials and challenges over their lifetime. And we heard some of that at the services as we shared together. But both of them kept the faith and they finished the race well. To give you an idea of some of how, how tough the journey of, of life can be, let me just tell you a little bit of Norma's story. Norma's parents were divorced when she was young, and so she was sent off to um, boarding school in Warwick as a young girl, which she absolutely hated, having to go up there on her own. One of her brothers um, uh, tragically passed away while she was young. Her mother became very ill, and Norma had to care for her mother in her young adult years. To add further tragedy, Norma's mother then passed away the night before her wedding day. How, how um, sad would have that been? And so she had, went ahead with the wedding the next day, but grieving the loss of her mum through all of that. Then Norma's husband passed away from a melanoma when, while he was still young, leaving her a single mother of a nine-year-old, an 11-year-old. And then if that wasn't enough, then Norma's son would get caught up in in addiction that would come to control his life. And that would put enormous strain on her life uh, for many years as well. Talk about a tough journey. Uh, you would be asking God a few of those questions um, if you were Norma Winter. God, what are you, why? What are you, what are you doing here? The journey of life can be incredibly difficult and it can leave us feeling tired and worn out and overwhelmed and exhausted. And perhaps you're here this morning and you can relate very specifically to that feeling, the feeling like that this morning as you come. Well, Isaiah 40 speaks to this reality. Let me read it for us this morning. It'll come up on the screen. We're going to read from verse 26. It says, Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry host one by one and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. Why do you complain, Jacob? Why do you say, Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord? My cause is disregarded by my God. Do you not know? Have you not heard that the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth? He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. This is God's word to us this morning. 
to give you some context of this chapter in Isaiah, Isaiah is prophesying to the Jews who are exiled in Babylon. And by this time, they've been in captivity for several decades, and they are now teetering on the edge of despair. They are feeling defeated. They are bitter, disillusioned. In fact, they think God has failed them. We see this in verse 27. This is the place they're in. And this word group, faint and grow weary, is, is, occurs seven times in this short little section here. And it's the key to this passage. God is speaking to weak, tired, discouraged people. So what does he say to them? What does he say to these people who are in this place? Well, some helpful things for us to take hold of. The first is this, is that he empathizes with them. He doesn't say, toughen up and get over it. I say that to my kids a bit, toughen up, get over it, come on. He doesn't say that. He doesn't even say, don't worry, it'll all be right, I've got a plan in this. Even though he does have a plan, but he doesn't say that to them in this moment. And he definitely doesn't condemn or accuse them, um, trying to bring up things from the past that have been the result of some of what they are going through. He doesn't go there either. That's not who God is. Instead, he empathizes with them. He says these words in verse 30. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. What is God saying here? He is acknowledging the reality of the heartache and pain that we all experience in this life. And the fact that it leaves us weary, that it leaves us feeling very weak. Some of you may know the story of Derek Redmond. Derek was a sprinter for Great Britain and in the 1992 Summer Olympics in Barcelona, he was the favourite to win the 400 metre sprint. And he started off um, doing incredibly well in his uh, preliminaries. He got the fastest time. Uh, Then in the quarterfinal, he was the fastest of all the runners again. And then it came to the semifinal. And as he headed off down the straight, he was streaking out in front once again. But he got halfway down the first straight. And suddenly he grimaced in pain, grabbing his leg because his hamstring had actually just given way in that moment. And in incredible pain, he came to a standstill and everyone, all the stadium's sort of on edge waiting. And then he begins, he gets up and he begins to hop along, making sure he doesn't get out of his lane because uh, he doesn't want to be disqualified because he's decided, I'm going to finish the race. No matter what happens, I'm going to finish. And so he's hopping along this track, struggling along on his own. And the stadium begins to stand up to encourage him. But then there is a movement from the crowd and someone comes down through the crowd, pushes past the security and the officials and runs over and actually puts his arm around Derek. And this very, very powerful moment, I think we had a photo, was actually um, Derek's dad, Jim, who had um, forced his way down there, pushed his way through, and he came and put his arm around him. And in this moment, as Derek's dad, Jim, puts his arm around him, Derek just breaks down in tears, and, uh, and Jim continues to help carry him through right till the end of, of the, the race so that he could finish. And the Olympic Committee has called this finish one of the most inspirational moments in Olympic history. And in fact, um, Derek Starr, Jim, got to carry the torch in the 2012, the 2012 London Olympics, in fact, so famous did this story become. But Derek's story highlights this truth that none of us are exempt from the challenges and trials of life. Even Olympians grow tired and weary, and elite athletes stumble and fall. You see, God is acknowledging the reality of the heartache and pain that we experience in our lives and that even for the strongest of us, the challenges and trials of life, they wear us down, they leave us feeling weary and faint. 
And God is saying to his people in this moment, this is, this is the human condition. Because of the sin and brokenness of our world, we all face challenges in this life. Whether it be sickness, a relationship breakdown, financial loss, the loss of a loved one, the list could go on and on. And what I love here is that God doesn't try and give some simple pick-me-up answer or toughen-up response. But instead, he empathizes with us. This is what sets Christianity apart, a God who is near to the brokenhearted. Hebrews 4 verse 15 explains it like this. For we do not have a high priest, talking about Jesus, we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Praise God. When we are enduring, enduring trials and heartache, he is not, God is not distant or disinterested, but rather his heart breaks as we endure these circumstances and he is close to the brokenhearted. So this is the first thing. That God says to them. The second thing God says to them as they are teetering on the edge of despair is this. He says, there is hope. Right? He wants you to know there is hope this morning. Verse 31, but those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. In Vienna, in Europe, in the period leading up to World War II, there were three famous Jewish psychiatrists. The first was Sigmund Freud. And after years of studying people, he reached the conclusion that the most basic drive in human beings was the drive for pleasure. That was our, it was our need for pleasure that explains why we do what we do and how we live. The second was um, the psychologist Alfred Adler, another brilliant um, uh, psychiatrist, and he too spent years studying human behaviour, but his studies led him to disagree with Freud. He was convinced that the bottom line explanation for the, human, for, the, for the way humans behave and act was power, their desire for power. All of us, he said, grow up feeling inferior and powerless. Life is a drive to gain control until we feel important. The third psychiatrist was this young up-and-coming psychiatrist um, by the name of Viktor Frankl. He hoped to follow in the footsteps of his two mentors, Freud and Adler, but his, just as his career was beginning to gain momentum, World War II started. And the Nazis, as the Nazis invaded, it was very dangerous for, for the people of Jewish heritage. And Freud and Adler, who were renowned psychologists already, they actually were able to escape um, before um, Hitler invaded, but not so for Frankel. He was arrested, he was thrown into concentration camp for four long years. And when the war was over, Frankel um, uh, managed to survive, and after he was released, he went back to his career. And he reflected on his time as a prisoner in the concentration camp. He noticed something quite strange. That the people who survived were not always the one that you expected. Um, those who were very physically strong um, wasted away and died, while others who were much more weak physically managed to stay strong or grew stronger and survived. Why? He was intrigued. What was it that enabled them to hang on through all that they endured? Well, Frankel reflected on the theories of his mentors. He went back to Freud's pleasure principle and he realized, well, that definitely couldn't explain what was happening because for four desperate and terrible years, the people in that camp knew only one thing and that was pain, suffering and degradation. 
So pleasure was not a word that was even in their vocabulary for all that time. It wasn't pleasure that kept them going, that's for sure. And then he thought about Adler's theory, about power being the basic human need. Well, that didn't fare well very, very well either, as Frankel um, reflected on this, because him and his fellow Jews were completely powerless during their time in the camps. Each day they stared down the barrel of a loaded gun and they were treated like animals. And they had no power and there was no prospect of power. So this certainly couldn't have been it either. And so Viktor Frankl came up with his own theory. The difference between those who survived and those who perished was hope. Hope was the thing. Those who survived never gave up their belief that their lives had meaning, that despite everything going on around them at that time, it would one day end and they would live meaningful, purposeful lives. He realized that we are unavoidably, irreducibly hope-based creatures. Um, and as helpful as this is, um, this information from, from Frankel, there, there's another element to that, on top of that, that we see in the Scriptures. And that is the truth that God tells us, that despite our circumstances, there is ultimate hope in Him. We can put our hope in the things of this world, things of, like money and relationships and our career or whatever it might be that we put our hope in. But none of these things will bring us lasting hope. None of these things will bring us peace. But God says, you can place your hope in me and, and it actually is an eternal hope that goes even beyond this life as we were singing about before. And so God is able to say to these people, those who hope in the Lord, who place their faith and trust in Jesus, they will renew their strength. In fact, Isaiah even goes a step further here and he is trying to show the people living in exiles that because they are feeling weak, because of the situation they find themselves in, they are now in a prime position to experience the supernatural power of God. Because the Bible says it's when we come to the end of ourselves, when we come to the end of our own self-reliance and self-dependence, that we are in the, the, the best possible place to experience the unlimited power and strength that comes from God. That's why Isaiah says here, in verse 29, he gives strength to who? He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak. So often our own self-reliance and self-dependence gets in the way of God revealing his power and his strength, which is so much greater than our own. God says a similar thing to Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, for my power is made perfect in weakness. That is where my power is revealed. Johnny Erickson Tata learned uh, a similar lesson. As a teenager, she became uh, a quadriplegic through a diving accident and has become a very uh, popular Christian writer and speaker. And in one article, she tells this story. She says, Honesty is always the best policy, but especially when you're surrounded by a crowd of women in a restroom during a break at a Christian women's conference. One woman putting on a lipstick said, Oh, Johnny, you always look so together. So happy in your wheelchair, I wish that I had your joy. Several women around her nodded. How do you do it? She asked as she capped her lipstick. I don't do it, I said. In fact, may I tell you honestly how I woke up this morning? This is an average day. I breathe deeply. After my husband Ken leaves for work at 6am, I'm alone until I hear the front door open at 7am. That's when a friend arrives to get me up. 
While I listen to her make coffee, I pray, oh Lord, my, my, my friend will soon give me a bath, get me dressed, sit me up in my chair, brush my hair and teeth and send me out the door. I don't have the strength to face this routine one more time. I have no resources. I don't have a smile to take into the day, but you do. May I have yours. God, I need you desperately. So what happens when your friend comes through the door? One of them asks. I turn my head toward her and give her a smile sent straight from heaven. It's not mine. It's God's. And so I said, gesturing to my paralyzed legs, whatever joy you see today was hard won this morning. I have learned that the weaker we are, the more we need to lean on God. And the more we lean on God, the stronger we discover him to be. One writer puts it like this truth like this. It says, you're never in a better position to receive God's grace than the moment you realize you don't have what it takes. It's so true. And Isaiah's point here in these verses is quite blunt. He's saying human strength at its best in its prime will inevitably fail. We're no match for the demands of this life in the broken and sinful world in which we live. But we're not doomed to our own potential. There is a power beyond ourselves and we can experience it, is what we see here in this passage. And Tamara, I want to encourage you in this truth. Where's Tamara and Andrew? Are they here somewhere in this service? Over here. I want to encourage you both in this truth this morning as you take this step of faith. That God, those who God calls, he promises to equip and give everything needed for the journey. And the word that I want to give you both today is 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 24, which says, The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. He will do it. And you can rest in that. In fact, I love the words in that induction that speaks this truth we're talking about here as we read the last part. It says, We commend you to God's grace and power, which alone will make your ministry effective in God's kingdom. So you can hold on to that promise that he is with you and that he will be faithful through all the journey, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. So God reminds us that there is hope. And then this last thing God says, he says, don't give up. Don't give up. You might be thinking, where? I did not read that in the passage. Let me show it to you in here, these last few verses. I want to read again from verse 31. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. When you read up around this passage, there's a lot of discussion around these three metaphors here, the soaring, running, and walking, and particularly the order in which they are in because they seem like they are around the wrong order. It's very anticlimactic anticlimactic, soaring, running, and then just walking. You would think it would be the other way around, you know, walking, running, and we're going to soar. But instead, it's, uh, all the writers uh, agree that this is intentional. One writer says this, walking is the point. The point is endurance is what God is trying to get through to his people. The point is we are not to give up. We are to keep the faith. Sometimes you will soar on the journey, but you won't always soar, but you will always be able to walk. And Isaiah is talking to these people about the power of persevering faith. I mentioned at the start of this message about the blessing of Beryl and Norma's, Norma's funeral last week, and one of the most powerful witnesses of their long lives was their persevering faith through all they'd endured and went through. At both um, the services, uh, there was a passage that was referred to, made mention of, that described their lives. It was 2 Timothy 
4, verse 7 and 8. This is what it said. It said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. This is an incredible truth. God's call for us to keep holding on in faith, holding on to hope, holding on in faith to the things that God is doing. One of the key parts of Norma's testimony of persevering faith was the way that she never stopped praying for her son, Craig. Uh, as a teenage boy wrestling with the grief and loss of his father and significant other challenges he was facing in his life at the time, um, Craig got caught up uh, in crime and ultimately in a gambling addiction that would rule his life. This put enormous strain on Norma. It was one of the greatest trials, in fact, that she faced in her life, but she never stopped praying for Craig. In fact, she prayed for Craig uh, for 30 to 40 years. She just never copped, never stopped praying and, and, and trusting God in this situation. I'll never forget the first time I met Craig in my office and he told me some of his story. And as he told his story, I remember at the end just saying to him, Craig, how are you still alive? How are you still even here? And he looked at me and he said, I think it has something to do with the prayers of my mum. And that was the first time I even heard about Norma. Um, and it wasn't too long after that meeting that um, Craig came to a point of just surrendering his life to Jesus. And then some little time after that, decided to be baptised. But not just Craig. In fact, it was his whole household. Um, Amanda and his children, Connor and Kira as well. And when this took place, Norma, at 89 years of age, could not have been more thrilled, I want to tell you. I had the privilege of um, visiting Norma up in the hospital. Um, she'd had a fall and she was up in the hospital and I went to visit her at Prince Charles and um, we were celebrating the fact this stage Craig and Amanda and the kids had come to faith and I went up there and, and Norma was quite hard of hearing so you have to yell um, so she could hear you. And we're in, the, we're in the ward there and it's a shared ward and everyone could hear what we were celebrating, that, that her son, her son um, had come to faith in Jesus and we had a little work party up there in prayer time and everyone was a part of it whether they liked it or not they were in involved in this celebration but Norma could not have been more thrilled praying 30 plus years for a son to see what God had done and then um, they made the decision to be baptized which again just thrilled Norma um, in, in that time frame, uh, Norma's health began to deteriorate and she had um, some serious heart issues and she had to go back up to hospital. And the night um, Craig and Amanda and Connor and Kira were being baptised, she was actually up at St Andrew's Hospital and we had the baptism here. Thankfully to our online ministry and the live stream, Joan Dunsing, one of our pastoral carers, was able to go up to the hospital that night for six o'clock and sat there with Norma in the room and had the live stream going. And um, Joan can tell you firsthand of just the celebration and worship party they had up there as they watched this baptism that, that Norma had persevered in prayer for for so many years. And I want to show you just a little clip of um, Craig's testimony and Amanda and Connor and Kira's testimony as they share a little bit. Just This is just part of their story. You can watch the whole, whole lot of it online. But let me just show you a little of their story. It's actually a testimony of the power of God's renewing, restoring work in our lives. Let's check Amanda this out. Amanda and the kids have been through what I can only describe as a war zone, living with a gambling addict. Never knowing when the bomb will explode, which was me. 
living with someone that has been unpredictable, that were living on eggshells day in and day out, never knowing was going to end. Amanda was so alone in these years. It has been only... It's been only through prayers of my mum at that time and Jesus dying on the cross, we have survived. Living life today as a family is calmer. Things are more stable. Life is hard. But today with prayer and prayer from members of this church, we have managed. I had an encounter with one person from this church had an encounter with one person from this church where I'd seen a real peace. I remember asking this member why you've got so much peace and they replied one word, God. I could not understand. It was confusing but I wanted to know. Through God and mum's prayers and having an open mind to a power greater than myself, Amanda, Connor and Kira and myself are here together as a family, ready to be baptised. Each of us have had our own experiences of Jesus' love in restoring I am very thankful to God for coming into our lives that night and helping to start healing some of the pain and addiction that Grace has had and our family has been suffering from and that after 14 years, we are finally able to restore some faith into our family and begin to heal together. I am very happy that God helped our family heal and that dad is now present in our lives to be better father. I'm glad that God has came into our lives to guide us through our journey in life and to help our family to be better so we can spend more time and have more fun as a family. God has allowed us to heal and relationships have been broken, have been repaired. The power of gambling that was in my life for 28 years has gone. Uh, No longer do I want to sit in my own thoughts to weld into gambling to escape my emotions. Tonight we are being baptised to acknowledge that Jesus forgive all sins from whatever background, whatever addiction or strongholds, no matter what journey people have come from. Jesus' love for us as a family has always been there, but we've never opened our eyes to see it. We were lost, but now are found. It is because of Jesus' death on the cross that we have been saved. 
Jesus' death on the cross has not only saved me, but has brought Amanda and Connor and Kira here tonight. God knew all these years ago when I was not ready, he was not only to save me, but three other people which stand behind me. God works in mysterious ways. I just want to say, Amanda, thank you for all these years that you have stood by me. You have never walked away from me. And I love you so much for that. Uh, 2 Timothy 1 verse 7 For God has never given us a spirit of fear but a power and of love and of a sound mind. Can we give thanks to Jesus for this story, this family tonight. Church, we should put our hands together and give thanks. Isn't that incredible? Amazing testimony. It's a testimony of the power of God's renewing, restoring work in our lives. As I said at the start, we're never too far gone. It's never too late. No situation beyond him. But also the testimony of persevering faith. A mom who kept praying. Just seven weeks after that night, Norma would actually go home to be with Jesus. Um, In those last few moments, sharing with uh, Norma, Um, reading scriptures to her, praying with her. Craig was there with me and together we would pray for his mum. And uh, as we'd read scriptures, um, she'd be raising her hand, um, pumping her fist, sort of, so to speak, as we'd read scriptures through, she knew and letting out as best she could and amen. But she had uh, an incredible assurance, an incredible insurance that um, the best was yet to come for her. There was a hope. There was a hope, an eternal hope for her as well, and it was powerful to share with her. And what a testimony of what can take place as we keep trusting, keeping the faith, not giving up. So perhaps you're here this morning and you're feeling weary and discouraged because of the trials and tragedies that you've encountered in life. Perhaps you're feeling weak and overwhelmed just because of the pressures of life that are upon you at the moment. Perhaps you feel like you have nothing left this morning as you come. Well, God wants you to know that you're in the perfect place to experience the supernatural power of God this morning. He wants you to know that he sees you, that he loves you, that he has not forgotten you, that there is hope for the future. If you will look to him and trust in him. And he wants you to know this morning, this is his words straight to you, not my words, straight from his word. It's what he says to you. He gives strength to the weary. He increases the power of the weak, that those who hope in him will renew their strength. So don't give up. Keep trusting. There is hope in him. Let me pray this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the power of your word. Thank you it speaks, Lord, to the very reality of this life, the challenges, the trials that we all face, Lord. And we thank you for this promise that you give strength to the weary, that you increase the power of the weak, that those who hope in you will renew their strength, Lord. And I want to pray for some here this morning who I know will be right in the, the midst of this this morning, feeling overwhelmed, 
feeling the experiences of the disappointments of this life, the trials, the challenges that come. Lord, now in these moments, I pray that you would come, that you'd minister your supernatural strength to them, Lord, I pray, that you'd fill them with hope for the future, that you'd let them know in such a tangible way that you love them, that you care about them, that your heart breaks too, Lord, that they can trust you even in the midst of this circumstance. And I want to say thank you too for this incredible renewing, restoring work that you do in our lives. I want to pray for some here this morning who maybe never ever had that moment of just turning to you and trusting you, experiencing your renewing, restoring work in their lives. Well, this morning, I pray even now in these moments, they'll be able to just turn to you and say, Lord, help me. I need you. And what a powerful prayer. Just like Craig and Amanda and Connor and Kira experienced that. Lord, that's for every person who would come to you and say, Lord, I need you. Come into my life. Restore me. Renew me. So any this morning here in that place too, I just pray you'll bless them as they turn to you as well. But Lord, we thank you for these promises. And now, as we continue to affirm our faith and trust in you, bless us, we ask. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As we finish the service this morning, we're actually going to share in communion together. On your way in, you should have received your communion cups. You can grab those out. You might want to prepare them um, as we come to share together. And uh, this is an opportunity for us to gather around the Lord's table. I couldn't think of a better way to finish this service and affirm this truth than to actually come to the heart of what it's all about. Um, Jesus' Jesus' death on the cross, in where God reveals his love for us. He reveals that he's not a distant God, but he's a God who has stepped into the brokenness of this world. He knows what it means to suffer, and he has gone through that, and he's risen again that we might have eternal hope in him. And the verse I couldn't go past was the one I referred to earlier, and I want to just read it to you again from Hebrews chapter 4. It says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who is Jesus, who has gone through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence this morning so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. What a promise for us to take hold of this morning. And so in these moments as we share in communion, as we take the bread, as we drink the cup, this is an opportunity for us to affirm our faith and trust in him, to continue to ask God, God, I need your help. Just continue to cry out to him in these moments, to be reminded God wants to reveal to you through this meal his love for you. The cross leaves no question of a doubt of of the depth of God's love for us. No question. And so as you share, and this is an opportunity for you just to experience his love, his empowering, his nearness in these moments. And the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it saying, this is my body given for you to take, eat in remembrance of me. Why don't you just take the wafer now and we're going to eat this together. And as we do that, just give thanks in your heart. In the same way, 
After the meal, he took the cup. He said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant, my blood, shed for the forgiveness of sins. He said, come, drink in remembrance of me until I come again. Let's drink together, church. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this reminder you have given us, a powerful reminder of your love for us. You're our high priest, that you understand the challenges, the trials of this life, but you have gone through, Lord, through these, risen again, so that we might know your very presence with us, your supernatural power, that resurrection power, Lord, available to us this morning. And so we take hold of this by faith. Bless, we pray, continue to fill us and lead us, we ask and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a respond a song as we respond now. And again, the words of this song just are a declaration of our faith and trust in him despite all the circumstances of life. Uh, if you like prayer in some way during this song, some of our prayer team will be down the front. They'd love to pray for you. Uh, and there's also going to be another opportunity we have. We have a bit of a tradition here in the church that when we uh, a new pastor is called. We love just to affirm them, encourage them. I'm going to ask Andrew and Tamara during this song. They're just going to stand down the front here. And if you just want to come and encourage them and bless them and just let them know that you're with them and for them on the journey as well, you can come and just greet them this morning as well as a little affirmation for them. And so why don't we stand together? Um, we're going to respond in faith this morning. Andrew and Tamara will be down the front. You feel free to come and to greet them and encourage them as well during this song. Let's worship him and give him thanks for all that he's done for us. Let's worship him, church.
thank you for your faithfulness. We thank you for the promises on which we stand. And now, Lord, I pray, help us to keep the faith. Faith, Lord, to finish the race well is our prayer. To continue to fill us in power, Lord. We cannot do this journey alone, but, Lord, in you. And we pray that through us, your love will be revealed to our world. Bless each one, I pray, and I ask this in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. Can we put our hands together as we give thanks to our great God this morning for his blessings to us? You can grab a seat, grab a seat where you are. If you'd like prayer, our prayer team will be down the front. They'd love to pray for you. We've got a prayer lounge up the back there as well, our connections lounge. If you're new, do stay. Connect with us there as well. But God bless you. Thanks so much for sharing with us this morning as well as those joining us online.